0: This is Second Look. I'm Bob Leveke, WMRA's news director. I hope you're enjoying the weekend, and I hope you stay tuned. In the next half hour, we'll have an update on what child advocates in Rock Bridge are doing to try and hold the local Department of Social Services accountable. That report from WMRA's Jesse Napler. We'll also review stories from last year that provide some context to a development we learned about last week. And that is a strike by prisoners around the country to protest what they call modern-day slavery. We also take a look at what's been going on in Virginia politics. But first, Virginia's Water Control Board met on Tuesday to consider the question of whether the state should be inspecting every point on a river or stream where pipeline builders proposed to cross. The Department of Environmental Quality had concluded it was enough to let the Army Corps of Engineers do that, but more than 9,000 people wrote to DEQ to protest that decision. About 150 pipeline opponents showed up at that Water Control Board meeting in Richmond on Tuesday. They were not pleased with the outcome either. The board ended up mostly going along with DEQ and declined to reject calls from environmentalists and landowners to force a halt to construction. Of the Atlantic Coast and Mountain Valley pipelines. In this report from Virginia Public Radio, Sandy Hausman has more on where things
1: stand. Construction on both the ACP and MVP has stopped under court orders, but protests continue. Protecting our water, we shall not be moved. Protecting about 3 dozen people showed up to remote Buckingham County to learn more about plans for a giant compressor station that would push natural gas through
2: 600 miles of line. Normally every 60 miles there's a little compressor station. This is the only one in Virginia, so it's a monster. Kay Ferguson is
1: also appalled by the proposed location of the compressor station. In
2: the middle of a rural African American community, some of these families have owned that land since before the end of the Civil War. They bought their freedom and this land and it's full of unmarked slave graves. It's the starkest example of environmental racism that i have ever seen critics say the plant will be noisy create air and light
1: pollution but their county board approved it so now residents here and all along the path of the atlantic coast and mountain valley pipelines are taking their complaints to court and greg bupert of the southern environmental law center says they've had some success.
3: There have been, of course, the two rulings from the Fourth Circuit throwing out the Park Service permit and the Fish and Wildlife Service permit.
1: And in September, he'll be back with two more suits against the state of Virginia and the U.S. Forest Service. Dominion says it will quickly address concerns and get permits back. But Bupert and his clients say it won't be so easy to convince regulators that they can put a tunnel under the Blue Ridge Parkway and build miles of pipeline through a national forest without doing extensive environmental harm. Some proof came this summer when heavy rains washed rocks and soil into rivers and streams.
3: One of those violations was a mile of stream filled with seven inches of sediment. It is likely impossible to build up and down Appalachian ridges and keep the mountainside on the mountain.
1: Which brings us to the banks of Licking Hole Creek in Crozet, where Dave Sly from Wild Virginia says under the Clean Water Act, the state... Has an obligation to do more.
3: Congress said we are reserving states' rights to protect their waters. So for Virginia to pass on its ability to look out for its own citizens is a real betrayal.
1: Virginia's Water Control Board will debate that point on Tuesday when it meets in Richmond. Already Sly says the 11 board members have received more than 17,000 emails and letters on the subject.
3: The vast majority, of course, were form letters and emails. but. There were some amazing and detailed reports from a lot of landowners.
1: The Department of Environmental Quality said its inspectors would be duplicating the work of the Army Corps if it were to study the places where pipelines might cross water. But Sly says Virginia has tougher standards than the feds.
3: We have what's called an anti-degradation requirement. That means if your waters are of high quality, you're not supposed to lower that quality.
1: All of which gives attorney Greg Bupert hope that what some see as a pair of unstoppable pipelines can, in fact, be prevented.
3: Dominion wants the public to think that this project is inevitable, that it's well underway. But the reality on the ground right now is that less than three miles of pipeline have been installed.
1: And with two members of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission opposing construction, one of them a Trump appointee, he thinks the Mountain Valley pipeline might also be history. I'm Sandy Hausman.
0: Child welfare advocates in Rockbridge filed an appeal last week with the Virginia Department of Social Services, or DSS, following the state agency's decision not to have local board members removed. Advocates say that board members failed to address deep problems inside the local DSS in Rockbridge County. WMRA's Jesse Nadler has more.
4: Following a 10-month investigation, DSS concluded that while the Rockbridge Agency Board of Directors fostered a hands-off approach to its duties, that approach is not sufficient to have them removed. This follows two previous investigations that also looked at deep dysfunction within the Rockbridge Agency, specifically a child protective supervisor who actively ignored, even shredded reports of child abuse and neglect. One infant died. Child welfare advocates Susan Lawrence and Mark Reed of Rockbridge petitioned the state agency. Lawrence says they are deeply concerned with its conclusions.
5: It's unbelievable to me that somebody can stick their head in the sand and that the state board of social services would accept that as a defense.
4: Lawrence cites the Rockbridge Board's recent hiring of a new director that was quickly aborted after reports surfaced of the candidate's questionable past.
5: All you had to do was Google it. A second grader could Google it.
4: Relatives of the infant who died under Rockbridge DSS's watch are suing the local and state agencies for $17 million. For WMRA News, I'm Jesse Nadler.
0: Prisoners nationwide are being encouraged to go on strike for the next couple of weeks. That is expected to include coordinated work stoppages, sit-in strikes, commissary boycotts, and hunger strikes. Amani Sawari is an organizer of this effort and spokesperson for Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. She said that they are demanding humane living conditions, access to rehabilitation, sentencing reform, and the end of what they call modern-day slavery. At WMRA, we've been reporting on local approaches to life in prison and uh, disparities on what many people see as a school-to-prison pipeline, particularly for people of color. A recent report by the Sentencing Project says that nearly one in seven people in prison is serving what effectively amounts to a life sentence. Twenty years ago, a book of photos and interviews of nearly 60 lifers in Pennsylvania prisons, where a life sentence really means a life sentence, gave some rare insight into their lives and thoughts. The author of that book, who now lives in Rockingham County, began reconnecting with some of those same people, and WMRA's Christopher Clymer Kurtz talked with him last year. Here's his report.
6: It's been a quarter of a century since Broadway resident Howard Zare interviewed and photographed the subjects for what became his 1996 book Doing Life, Reflections of Men and Women Serving Life Sentences. He's been revisiting about two dozen of these men and women in preparation for a follow-up, which he's calling Coping with life. They've been joyous reunions, he said, but they've also made him very sad when he tries to imagine what it must be like. Zare recorded his interviews. How do you describe
7: a life sentence today? You remember I asked you how you would describe it 25 years ago. How would you describe it today? Everybody I've ever asked says, whew, first.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't even, I don't know if I even have any reference to compare it to. Because yeah. I've been here so long. So long. Yeah. I mean, McDonald's yeah. wasn't even open for breakfast when I came to jail. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Marilyn Dobrelensky has been in prison since 1972 and has kept herself occupied painting with watercolors, welding, training dogs. She's in the process of filing for commutation.
2: So I'm trying not to get my hopes up to have them let down again, because I don't know, at this age, that would go over very well.
6: How old are
2: you? I'll be 65 this okay, year. I
6: thought maybe, yeah. Zare is known as the grandfather of restorative justice, which considers the needs of victims in the justice process and focuses on repairing the harms of crime. He wanted his book, Doing Life, to offer an opportunity to see offenders as individuals with their own fears and dreams rather than stereotypes. Zare hopes that this sequel collection, Coping with Life, will show how people endure, find meaning in, and even transcend being in prison for life
7: they're trying to restore their lives they're trying to incorporate what happened into their lives i've often talked about that with crime victims but it's also true with people who commit crimes and i saw that clearly in harry twiggs for instance trying to reconcile the terrible guy that he was as he readily admits with who he has now today and you can't just say these are two different absolutely different people and the way it's often done is by saying that prepared me and gave me the insights that I can now use, that made me who
6: I am and I can now use to help others. Here's Harry Twiggs, a lifer that Zare said is using his past to help others.
8: One of the counselors told me, she said, your problem is not drugs and alcohol or crime. She said, your problem is you. You have a Harry Twiggs problem. I'm trying to make up. You know what I mean? For all the years and, and the pain and the suffering and stuff that, I, that I've caused people. When I was out there, I was in the way. Now I'm able to show people that's trying to find their way. I can show them.
6: Kimberly Joins is another person who tries to support others in facing adversity. She works as a certified peer specialist with younger women in prison. What would you say today if you were describing a my life's How you you describe
2: it? Oh, boy. I've been thinking about this for a long, long time. The good thing about it is the joy I receive from helping myself and others. The bad part about it is the negativity. You have to fight with every fiber of your being to be constructive. It's just heart-wrenching to see so many people that really had to live pillow to post. I extend my compassion and my comfort in the best way I can um, to help them realize there is so much... Let me see a better way to phrase it. It's so much more joy than there is hardship. You just have to come to a point in your life where you believe goodness feels better than the pain you've
6: endured. Zare doesn't know yet whether this collection, Coping with Life, will end up as an exhibit or a book, but he is sure that if he were to be photographed in a prison setting, he'd look like a prisoner too. That's why in his photography, he uses a plain backdrop. I want you to confront
7: the person, what they look like, what their eyes are saying, what they're saying with their voice, and not have other things to make judgments with.
6: However it takes shape. Zare's result will be a glimpse inside, into the people who are living, likely for the rest of their lives, behind fences and locked gates, and, for those of us on the outside, maybe even into our own expectations of the criminal justice system. For WMRA News, I'm Christopher Clymer Kurtz.
0: Many advocates say that our school system fosters racial disparities in our prison system because children of color are more likely to be punished in the classroom. Former Albemarle NAACP director Rick Turner spoke at a monthly Democratic breakfast last year, and along with the panelists, he talked about how disproportionate discipline for racial minorities ultimately leads to increased contact with the criminal justice system. WMRA's Marguerite Gallerini filed this report.
9: The school-to-prison pipeline was the focus of this month's Democratic Breakfast. Dr. Rick Turner, former president of the local NAACP for the past 12 years, was one of the panelists invited to speak on the subject. His career has revolved around education and racial justice in the school system, including higher education. But he realized it starts at a much earlier age.
8: It really didn't dawn on me till last night that I better start talking about preschool. And I was surprised to find out that Preschool children are three times more likely to get suspended than K through 12th grade combined. What is it that teachers are not aware of? When we pay attention to negative behavior in children, that's what we get. And when we pay attention to positive behavior in children, we get that too.
9: And children of color are much more likely to be suspended.
8: African Americans are only 19 percent of the preschool enrollment, but comprise more than 50% of all suspensions. Children who are suspended are ten times more likely to, one, drop out, two, have low achievement, three, enter the juvenile justice system, and four, are suspended again and again.
9: Repetitive suspensions mean that the students increasingly miss out on learning. Becca Saxon is a local representative for the Virginia Education Association, and she has worked in public schools for many years.
5: I was a special ed teacher, but I didn't have the autonomy to actually do what was in their best interest. But it really was because of how the system was not working, how we were failing young black males. I mean, my caseload every year was 90% African-American males, but most of them should not have been in my
9: class. Their needs should have been met elsewhere. She says teachers don't have enough training, freedom, and resources to address their students' needs. And when your needs are consistently not
5: met in the major way in school, which is your academic needs, you learn that you can't trust the adults around you to meet any of your needs. And you shut down. And you don't end up learning the material, and you get that reinforced year after year because the teachers are tied to this curriculum And then they're left with kids who are frustrated and acting out, and teachers end up sending them out of the classroom because they don't know what
9: else to do. This has been a trend since zero-tolerance policies, which were massively put in place following the Columbine High School shooting of 1999. A study published this year by two researchers from the University of Kansas and Michigan State University argues that it disproportionately affects students of color, and in particular, black girls. They show that in the year of 2011-2012, black girls in middle school were suspended six times as often as white girls. Zero-tolerance policies also result in sending students to juvenile court, says Joe Sakas. He is the executive director of the nonpartisan organization for social justice Virginia Organizing, working on bringing parents and school staff together to break this trend.
3: Our chapter in Fredericksburg was meeting with parents in Stafford County. And a report came out that Virginia was sending more students to law enforcement than any state in the country. And there are more students of color as part of that that were getting sent to law enforcement.
9: According to the Education Week Research Center, in Virginia, black students make up 39% of the enrollment in public schools with at least one arrest, but they make up 75% of school-based arrests.
3: Eventually, the superintendent and the sheriff signed a memorandum of agreement, and they said, We're going to treat students like students. We're going to deal with this within the confines of a school building as much as possible, unless it really merits going to see the juvenile judge. Suspensions dropped dramatically, it made a huge difference.
9: For WMRA News, I am Marguerite Gallerini.
0: Time now to wrap things up with a review of Virginia politics with Jeff Shapiro, political columnist for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He sat down for his usual weekly chat with Craig Carper with our partner station, WCVE.
10: Jeff, Senators Tim Kaine and Mark Warner are reacting to national events, including the Manafort conviction, the Cohen plea, and President Trump's decision to strip ex-CIA director John Brennan of his security
11: clearance. There are a couple of things going on here. Kane, of course, is running for re-election, in part by running against President Trump. Now, the Manafort conviction and the Cohen plea, Kane says, demand congressional protection of the Mueller investigation. Kane says that's because Trump clearly fears what Manafort and Cohen could tell investigators. Of course, the president has been threatening for some time to fire Mueller, but at least according to the national press, has been persuaded otherwise by his aides. As for Warner, his role is a little different in all of this. Of course, he's the vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is the only congressional committee currently looking into the larger realm of Trump and Russia and the 2016 presidential campaign. Warner is particularly pained by the Trump decision to strip Brennan of his security clearance, his top secret clearance, and uh, indicated for several days. And finally, this week, introduced legislation that would prohibit presidents from doing what Trump has done and Senators Warner and
10: Kane are sticking with their plans to meet with President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, even as other Democrats refuse or say the nomination should be
11: withdrawn. And I think it's a pretty safe guess that when all of this is said and done that the Virginia senators, the Virginia Democratic senators will likely oppose Kavanaugh, but it may have very little to do with issues such as abortion rights. Let's consider the arc of the Trump investigation and the likelihood that it could end up before the Supreme Court. Warner and Cain have already expressed concern about Kavanaugh's expansive view, read Trump friendly view of executive power. And that could be a big issue if and when the court has to address whether Trump. For instance, has to comply with uh, subpoenas from Mueller and his investigators. Kane was expected to meet with Kavanaugh this week. By the way, and the General Assembly is returning
10: to convene a special session next Thursday for another crack at redistricting the House of Delegates. But, Jeff, should we hold our breath for any new maps?
11: Not at all. Governor Northam called the General Assembly back. He says it's time for the legislature to comply with that federal court decision back in June, throwing out 11 House districts as racially gerrymandered. The Republicans, who really are not interested in doing anything at this time, are really trying to buy time. In particular, they're keeping their fingers crossed that the Supreme Court will consider overturning that June decision by the three-judge trial court here in Richmond. What one should expect to happen when what is likely to happen is that the Democratic minority in the House is going to make a play, if you will, in the court of public opinion by introducing a map that would comply with the standards set by the trial court. That proposal will be dead on arrival with Republicans killing it on a party line vote in committee if there is even one or by simply
10: ignoring it. And finally, Tim Kane, Abigail Spanberger, and Dave Bratt are all spending substantial amounts on TV ad buys for campaign ads, though Corey Stewart, who trails the others in fundraising, is mostly using the web to promote his campaign.
11: So the advertising in the Spanberger-Brat race is going to be watched pun intended closely. Virginia's seventh at Richmond-anchored district, that for many years was represented by Eric Cantor until Dave Bratt knocked him off in that. 2014 primary, knocking Cantor out of contention for the House speakership. This is considered a toss-up by a number of the handicappers. Spanberger is now running her second general election ad, and she talks about her background as a CIA officer and the awesome responsibility of swearing an oath to uphold the Constitution. I don't know that she had Donald Trump in mind, but since this ad is going up at the same time that the president's legal and some would say constitutional problems seem to be coming to a boil, may spark a particular reaction among 7th District voters, Democrats, Independents, and maybe some disheartened Republicans. Brat has an ad up, very generic in its nature. I think it's important to mention is that there is no mention of Donald Trump. One of the things that Dave Bratt seems to be doing a lot of these days is running from the president, at least with, if you will, swing audiences. As for the Senate campaign, Kane is now running his second general election ad. Corey Stewart, again badly, badly outraised in the cash department, prefers to tell his story largely online.
10: Thanks to Jeff Shapiro, political columnist at the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Jeff, we will catch up again next week.
0: Support for WMRA's News and Information Fund, which makes our award-winning coverage possible, is provided by Bib and Dolly Frazier, Les and Johnny Grady, Klein May Realty, Eugene Stoltzfus Architects, Joy Loving, Janet Tretner, Nancy Barber, Pam and Jim Huggins, an anonymous donor, and also by a grant from a donor-advised fund of the Community Foundation of Harrisonburg and Rockingham County. I'm Bob Levicky, WMRA's news director and Morning Edition host. I'll talk to you in the morning. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.